Hey, it's Jay, and today we're doing something a little bit different. We're not breaking down uh, another person's podcast. We're actually breaking down a show that I helped create, and we're also not breaking down a podcast. We're going behind the scenes in the making of, of my first documentary series, a show that I made with the brand Help Scout. They're a B2B company, a SaaS business that sells customer service software. But more importantly, their CEO, Nick Francis, and I have been working behind the scenes for 18 months, along with some really great production talent, marketing talent, designers, customer support people, uh, on this series called Against the Grain. And the whole premise is that this late stage, high growth at all costs mentality, this archetype of what success looks like in business, especially in the US, is damaging. It's damaging to teams and people who work towards those aims only to enrich a choice few. It's damaging to communities and it's damaging to the globe. And we wanna replace that typical success story with something better. Something that puts craft, customers, and the community at the center of it all. See, business as a force for good. It's a movement that's bubbling, and we need to turn that up to a boil. So over the last 18 months, we have been working and shooting in the field before COVID to create a travel-like documentary series. Episode 1 debuted at the end of August. Episode 2 just came out as I speak these words to you right now on September 1st, 2020. And Episode 3 will drop in a couple of weeks as well. This is our pilot run of what we hope can be not just a series, but a movement that contributes to an even larger one. If you have not seen Against the Grain yet, that, that's okay. First of all, there's a link in your show notes, or you can visit helpscout.com slash ATG, helpscout.com slash ATG. I think you'll find it feels like a true travel show. It's just about the themes that I mentioned to you. So I hope you'll enjoy not only the production value, but the message inside of it, because it is super important. Um, but even if you haven't seen it, I wanted to run a recording of the behind the scenes live call that we did with some viewers of the show. It was myself, the lead producer, Tyler Bouchard, and the DP, director of photography, and editor, Travis Wilbur. The three of us broke down the creative process and what went into making a show like this. And believe me, it's complex, it's a little daunting, we found a lot of good and a lot of bad in our process, and we wanted to share it all and answer some questions from people in the chat. So. Without further ado, let's begin this atypical episode of three clips going inside the making of a documentary series, our very first, with a really audacious aim. I want to know how to do the things to do. A thing, a two, a three that only comes from you. Okay, so let's dive into that live behind-the-scenes conversation we had with viewers of Against the Grain. Uh, you're going to hear three different voices. Mine, I was the host of this series and also the writer and co-director. Then you have Travis Wilbur, who is the DP, director of photography and editor. And then you have our producer, who starts our conversation in the clip you're about to hear. His name is Tyler Bouchard, and you're going to hear how he describes this nebulous role, but very important role, of, of being the producer. So without further ado... Here we go. Speed. Parker. Action. And action. All right. Yeah, I'm Tyler Bouchard. Uh, I am the producer and kind of field producer and co-director since all three of us kind of directed to some, to some extent. I came into the project, me and Travis had been working with Help Scout since there was like eight people there. So we'd kind of grown up with Help Scout. I've been on retreats with them. Um, and Nick kind of came to us, uh, almost almost two years ago now and had this idea had this crazy guy named jay that he wanted to do this thing with and said hey you know you've been making these two minute and three minute four minute videos for us what do you think about doing some like a documentary series and of course it's dream come true um, i came from a documentary background when i was a camera operator um, all over the world flying over and then when i moved back to boston got more into corporate and which is great and so that's a little bit of my background, uh, but we've been working in Health Scout forever, so it was like a perfect fit. Um, and then from there, from actual producing standpoint, I mean, I'm doing any, anything from trying to find the companies. So a lot of relationship with um, Death Wish. Jay had a really big in with Death Wish, so a lot of that was just me vetting people and talking and doing pre-production calls. So hey, Taya, hey, so and so, let's just have a conversation on the phone to get you warmed up. So when you get on camera, we're already kind of friends. We kind of do this thing like. It's like, hey, good to, like when you show up on set, hey, it's nice to see you versus, hey, nice to meet you. 
And so that's kind of my job. And it's also my job to hire crew um, to hire because we have external crews that we hire on different different areas in the country, um, find out who they are, vet them, um, trying to get them on board, paperwork, you know, anything like that that's behind the scenes. And I do a lot of the client relationship between, between Help Scout and then between whoever we're filming. So I'm usually kind of the point person um, in all those episodes because at that point I've already had hours of conversation with, it could be the CEO, the CMO, whoever our main contact is between the all three episodes at that point, like I pretty much know like what the kids had for breakfast. Um, so we're walking into it um, already kind of friends, which is really, really fun, which is my favorite part. So with these episodes as a producer, it's like very intimate. Like I feel like I'm like, I'm DMing and I'm texting with the different people that we filmed and they're like, so they're so excited and it feels like they're, they're friends, you know, they are friends. So, uh, and then field producing is um, when we're actually on set, just helping guide whatever needs to be done. Um, make sure the crew's doing what they're doing, make sure the people that were our client help scout and then the people that we're filming. Um, so for this one, death wish, everybody's happy. Food's coming in, catering's happening. Everybody's happy. And I'm usually kind of behind the scenes in like a lot of times what we have is also we have these people come up and they read stories develop as they go. So they might bring up a conversation about somebody down the street and that might be the person to interview. So I'm getting their number and I'm calling them in the back. We're trying to get these things rolling. It's a documentary, so things are always happening. So that's a long-winded version of what producing does. <laughs> Tyler, you're the, you're the get shit done guy. Yeah, yeah. I try to be, at least on set. Um, when it comes to post, it's usually, <laughs> it's usually Travis and let's, Jay. Let's go to the real get shit done guy for post. Uh, yeah, in addition to all the stuff he does live on shoots, uh, let's go over to Travis. If you can introduce yourself and what is it that you did or do on this project? Yeah, so um, I'm, I pretty much did all the camera and then the editing. So for the camera, um, on all these shoots, I was handling like camera A, the main camera, thinking about B-roll, the types of shot we need. And then we would usually always have like a PA second camera. Um, you know, sometimes, I mean, there's some of these travel shows, they'll have up to four or five camera operators. Um, so it was just me and then usually another guy and we'd kind of run around and get our shots. Um, you know, I was also dealing with lighting. Um, this, we specifically brought on someone for sound for crew. Um, that's something I dealt with in the past and we just kind of handed it over to someone. And then I am kind of in the weeds doing the editing. So, uh, the editing process is Jay is actually taking all the interviews, forming the story and then sort of handing that script over to me. And then I'm kind of making everything flow, music, any graphics. And then also just like while I'm shooting, think since I'm editing and thinking about, like things that we need to introduce people or like segues um, and just kind of all these different, you know, moments in the story and how it's all going to sort of link together. Yeah. And we'll dive into some of this stuff. Like how do we figure out the crew who specifically was on this shoot? You know, we'll talk about really in the, in the nitty gritty of the production process. Um, but that just gives you a high level overview of everything. Um, and I'm Jay. Thank you all for joining. So my role was, um, essentially heavy on show development. So working with Nick Francis, the CEO of Help Scout, um, and trying to understand like, what is it we're trying to say with this? You know, like having um, an understanding of the technical side, having an understanding of marketing, having an understanding of how we measure it, all that stuff's important. But the real first challenge of building a show that people care about is like saying something that matters. And too often, I think we skip that step, unfortunately. So that was a big part of my role. We had an internal document, which we'll talk about a little bit, but that was essentially my home base, working with Help Scout and working with these two fine gentlemen here to try to figure out what is it that we're making um, with, with zero reps under our belt and how do we make this happen? So as you can imagine, it gets really chaotic. Um, so I did a lot on the show development side and then live, I'm actually you know like doing interviews with people every moment on camera uh, with a few exceptions. I'm behind the camera, even if you don't see me asking questions. There's an episode coming up tomorrow, which we all think is our strongest, where there's a group setting. So they're all around the table. And even there, I'm not, you know, it's clear when it's a one-to-one -one interview. Sometimes you see me, sometimes you don't. But with the group setting, I'm there kind of playing the role of like, I mean, in a way, it's like being a reality show producer. Like you imagine that these producers are just kind of lobbing grenades out. Well, I'm, not, I'm trying to be more tactful than them, but I'm lobbing out prompts. If the conversation's drifting too far in one direction or another, I'm trying to make sure I'm tacking it back to something that's interesting. So if Tyler helped make all the story stuff happen live, then Travis and I are focused on the moment, right? Tyler did some of that too. But 
I need to own the story and post, but live, I have to just be thinking about what I'm capturing, talking to you right now as an interviewer, as a storyteller, you know, I serve the premise of the whole show in the moment is the way I would describe my role. So you call that host, call that writer, call that what you will. All right, gentlemen, let's go to pre-production. I had not worked with you two prior to this project. I also hadn't planned out something quite as complex as this. Podcasts, there's, there's a lot fewer people involved. Um, some video shows I did were all web shows. This is a travel-like documentary. So a lot more parts and pieces. Talk to me about your perception of the planning process. What'd you think, would it, would, what was it gonna be like in your minds? And what was it actually like? Well, on this particular one, since we're starting off with the first one, it was much more difficult, mainly because we didn't have anything to show. So we're going to ask any company that's out there to do, to spend a significant amount of time with us, like two days, basically, which for any corporate company is monstrous. We're not shutting down everything, but we're, I have, we're coming in heavy. So we're asking a comp- companies, we had, we had a list of like 20, um, to give up two days of their time, basically. And we had nothing to show them we've ever done it before. So yeah, like I worked on some documentaries and I shot stuff, but I didn't produce it and it wasn't for Help Scout. So we're coming in and we're basically saying, trust us with all of this information, trust us with everything. And we have nothing to show you. So um, the trick at the beginning was really finding somebody who we already had a connection with and that's why Jay had the connection with Death Wish Coffee because he had already done the, uh, the CEO had been on his podcast. It's part of Jay's pitch um, on stage when he does speaking engagements. And so they were much more um, likely to bring us in. Um, but that's just, that, that's a huge part is getting people to play ball. Okay, you could have the, you could, the client can be down as in like Help Scout. The production team can be tight. You can have all of this money, right, ready to go. And you can still have no story how much stuff could, could be shot down in that process, right? Like, like all these little things have to line up. Like Help Scout has to say yes to the pitch of Death Wish, which at first they balked at because Help Scout's values don't align with the optics of a skull and crossbones logo, right? And so I had to say, no, 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 no. listen to the story that they have. Here's an episode of my show where I talk to the CEO. Here's a clip from my speech where I talk, tell their story. Like it is value aligned. It's just that the optics aren't there, which is why we should tell that story, right? Like so we have to get through all these gatekeepers and all these little moments, even if there's not like a gatekeeper could go wrong. Yeah. And in, 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 in general, in this particular one, this was the first episode and this was the first episode of at least three. And so it was a lot of, a lot of work with help scout to develop. Like, what is this thing? Like, what are we trying to shoot? Are right. we just going in and trying to tell another cool story about a successful company or, or we're going to try to dig a little deeper past like death wish has already been talked about in many times. People know who they are. Most people, um, how can we find any part of the story that's a little deeper than what they've already talked about? Yeah. Um, and that's where a lot of things came in, but yeah, the pre-production uh, process was pretty grueling in the beginning, just trying to figure out back and forth between help scout and us. What is this thing really like? What is this? And so that took a long time. Once we got past that, the next episodes were a little bit smoother because we have a trajectory. We have, you know, we have a, we have a vision. Um, but right. that's it a little higher. For- end stuff. It forced me to think through how do we put process to the show development approach where it is from the gut and the heart. You're like, I really do want to make this better. So the whole mess is behind ATG is the typical business success story applauds a very damaging thing, which is this like monopolistic aim, winner take all, scorched earth approach to capitalism. Doesn't matter what damage we do to our teams. You know, like I remember working for multiple high growth tech companies where they sell you on how good it is to work for them, right? And they don't really look out for your mental well-being and your emotional well-being because it's all in the name of fast growth. And you have books from Reed Hoffman like Blitz Scaling that the startup world applauds, which is basically like a get-rich-quick scheme got an MBA. Like we have this archetype that we don't even think about. We're like, that of course is success in business, especially in America, right? And then you look at the just trail, just look at this like scorched earth behind you and sometimes literally scorched earth, sometimes figuratively like the team or values you compromised on, even if they're not values that sound grand. Like I just want to make stuff people like, but now I'm out here DMing everybody who will connect with me on LinkedIn as soon as they say yes to try and sell them on something, right? Like, so we have these, these tales of success that are littered with compromising your values. And Nick, the CEO of Help Scout, had always built his business against that and had always wondered, can you find other stories like that, elevate them and try to make it 
the success story, not a cute outlier, but like these are ambitious people. They want to build successful businesses. They want to thrive. Um, and that also includes financially, but they also want to do it according to their core values, according to craft and community and customer. So before we had any kind of like heuristics to this, Nick hands us this like lump of desire and like, it's full of emotion. It's a really cool thing. We all align with it. And it's like, how do you articulate that on a show? So like now that I teach premise development as a part of our podcast workshops, I have like actual frameworks for this. But back then it was just the three of us and a lot of people at Help Scout. And a lump of desire. It. I like that. Yeah, You've right? Before. Just Fine, here, so. here it is boom, on the table, shape it, right? And then every so often you start to shape it and you're like, hmm, that doesn't look like what I thought it was going to look like. You know, like why is this person's face look more like an animal than, you know what I mean? Like you're, you have this taste and this desire and then your ability to actually make it happen is just so not there. And the only thing you're left with is we just got to get into the field and make one. That was, that, I, that was my big realization is by the time we were done with the show development process, I was like, can we just please shoot something? You know, I mean that with the camera, by the way. <laughs> not someone, but, something. But yes, also, yes. but also, ah, yeah. um, I'm curious about this idea of access. Uh, Travis, you spoke to this a little bit in our prep for this call, but what does it do? Like you said, we have like 45 minutes with Mike, Mike Brown, the CEO of Deathwish, which is just so not good enough, right? So talk to me about where this notion of access plays into making a doc and how you get access and what it does to a shoot. Yeah, so before this, me and Tyler had done, both with Help Scout and other companies, a lot of like testimonials and kind of small shoots where you're kind of going in, you're really interviewing someone for 30 minutes, an hour, and then you're trying to put together a story from it. And you can definitely do that, but we knew that if we wanted to go deeper, if we wanted this to feel like not just like a one-on-one -on -one interview type thing, if we wanted to feel like a show, then we're going to have to like get people to give us a little bit more than just like sitting there and talking at their desk. So um, one thing when we were kind of doing Death Wish, we we're constantly thinking in the pre-production, what are different elements that we can do? And I mean, we probably had like six different people that we we're probably going to talk to that didn't end up happening. Um, in the end, the distillery at the end of the episode was sort of like this extra thing that like usually don't get, you know, during like just a marketing video or interview, you know, type um type video right so, so that's, one that's thing albany albany distillery so if you yeah, watch the, the episode yep. we talked to rick the owner at the on the back half and he actually provided some pretty awesome moments but it wasn't expected heading in that we would talk to them we were yeah, literally yeah. shooting we were shooting an interview in somebody else that was in i think it was actually taya who's in the who's, who's the uh director of marketing yeah and she she's like hey you should really talk to albany distilling this is like day two and I'm like, uh, yeah, like, who, who are they? And she's like, they're amazing. They're like huge fans. They have a huge part of like the community. And so I'm, she's, I, she literally is like, here's his number, call him. And I called him and then like six hours later we're shooting and that became a big part of it. So there's like this, there's this element of being like willing to, uh, willing to roll with it, you know, willing to shift. Anyways, I might be jumping too much into the production part of it, but that's, it's a big yeah. part of it. Yeah. You know, and we were and one thing that we when after we kind of filmed the episode and we're talking a lot about it, um, one thing that we kind of wanted was more access. Like with Mike Brown, um, we really only got like a 45 minute interview with him. We wanted to bring him into if we got to bring him into his old coffee shop, it would have been absolutely amazing that he started before he did death or his house. Yeah, yeah, you know, we just wanted to do something with them, drive around town, and we just didn't get that. And one thing that we kind of realized at the end was, okay, these future companies that we're going to profile, like, we need them to give us access. Like, we need them to, like, be willing to spend the day with us or be willing to do something special with us, like walk around town or go to a different location. Um, and that's something that me and Tyler have been doing, trying to be doing for years to try to tell more stories other than just, like, two people sitting down having an interview. And usually anytime you try to get a CEO or founder out of the office, it's just immediately no. <laughs> like we've pitched this to so so many companies, like Hundreds. let's take the CEO back to his old college or like, you know, and it's always like, we've even had some companies agree. And then three days before they're like, nope, sorry, CEO is going to give you 30 minutes and that's it. In, so, in the boardroom, like we were in a big yeah, conference room you know, and we had to try and find a way. I mean, so, like granted, you know. Deathwish had, you know, giant logo behind them or maybe it was like a, essentially like an Instagram meme blown up, like black background, white text behind Mike, if I recall the shoot, but. And his was, interview was good. Like he gave us good content. He gave us some stuff that was never, that he never said before. So that was the thing. It was like, right. give us something that's never been said. Don't give us our, your 30 second, 
like NBC pitch, right? Like, can we dig a little deeper? But the, the, the reality is if you can take people out of their normal everyday element, like their boardroom or their office, and you put them somewhere more vulnerable, you tend to get more vulnerable answers. Yes. It's, just, it's a setting. When you put people in the right setting, it's kind of like, do you want, do you want to have um, your first date in a boardroom drinking wine? No, you, you'd rather have, you want to be at a beach, right? It's, it's the same kind of thing. Like you get people to be more vulnerable. You get these good, good conversations, but it's really hard to get to that place. And I'm sure most people we're talking to right now, you're not in production. You're, you're probably in the corporate world and you know how, how hard it is to have that time to spend to do that. Yeah. And so when a company like us is coming to you and saying, hey, we want to do this shoot and you're going, holy hell, I don't have enough time to do my regular job. And you're asking me to give me two days of people that really are very important. And now you're asking my CEO or my COO or whoever it is to get in a car and go to a coffee shop. It, it, it's, it, you could see that you can see the tough part of it, but the, the reality is the buy-in is so important. Um, and it really does impact um, the, the, the outcome. Yeah. And we, we saw this in their failings and we, you know, and we got some good, you know, we, we've experimented and we found you, you put people in the right position they'll give you a lot more vulnerable, nice answers. So I've learned this even as a podcast host. Like if you're telling stories and joking around, people will relax. Like if, if, I'm, if I'm noticing you're kind of, uh, you're overly coached by PR or you're an author and you've done the circuit, so you have your sound bites or even you're just stiff and uncomfortable, it's on me as the interviewer, as the host to reflect the emotion and the, the state, that environmental feel that I want you to embody. So like I've gotten, you know, burned a lot from people who are in their corporate mindset, who, who do what a friend of mine, Ron Tite, uh, who also hosts a great podcast called The Coup, um, he, and he's an author too, he, he talks about getting pitch slapped, where it's like the same soundbite, the thing you're here to promote, the pre-prepared remarks, that's what the guest gives you. And the way you get out of that, and this is something I was thinking about heading into this doc, was um, how do I make these people feel a lack of flow? That's a weird thing to say. So there, there's a psychological concept called cultural fluency, Basically, when things unfold as you expect them to unfold, you're mindless in your behavior. So if I'm getting the same questions, and I'm an author or an executive like Mike Brown, I'm getting the same questions in the media about the contest that they won in 2015, I think, when they won a Super Bowl ad for free, that story is well told. I tell it in my speeches, I tell it in my books. If I ask him about that, he's got the sound bites. He can kind of shut off the brain. He's going to just give you the regurgitated stuff. So I, want, I went in thinking, how do I knock him out of that cultural fluency, knock him out of that flow in a way that feels comfortable at the same time and friendly at the same time? Almost like the best response you can get is like, huh, that's a really good question. Or like they light up because you know they've wanted to talk about that and they haven't before because no one asked them. Like I'd learned that a, a guest of mine was like a certified barbecue judge on another show and I asked them about that. He immediately relaxed and started talking about life and then I could talk about work and he would feel the same. So I was heading into this story and Jay, thinking about just, that. Yeah. And so when you sat down with Mike Brown, CEO, we had previously, this is, this is how this weird stuff works. So we're at the, his old coffee shop interviewing like their super fan. If you'd seen that part, like this, the cop, that's like the super fan. He's like super into it. Well, the, the owner of that coffee shop worked for Mike Brown and then bought it from Mike Brown. Didn't want to do an interview with us, even though we really wanted him. But then we end up like in the basement of this coffee shop, like, he like pulled out some whiskey or something and we're just like shooting the shit. Right. And he's just telling us, and then he starts giving us like the inside scoop about Mike Brown, like stuff that he was like roommates with him and all these like all these very uh, intimate things that we probably shouldn't know. But what had happened was you take those little things. Okay. And this is the tricky kind of part. And when you go to do the interview with Mike Brown, you drop a few of those questions like, Hey, I heard you did this back in 2007. <laughs> and he goes, he goes, Holy hell. How do you know that? And we're like, Oh, we talked to, we talked to so-and-so and it like it switches, right? It, yes. it, it, it's, it's not, they, they understand at this point, you've been doing some research and you came, you, you came to play. Like you right. came to play. Right. You know what an easy way to do that is? Not, not everyone's going to have the, the basement backdoor dealings with a former colleague that we got. So another way to do this is, you know, do your research obviously, but then actually convey your assumptions that could be wrong. So an easy way, like an example actually came up in the shoot. It made the final cut of the episode, which was I say to Mike, it feels like you're trying to create like a lifestyle business. Like you're, you're trying to be the best at not just coffee. And he, you could tell he had to think about that for a moment. And he got like really honest. He's like, maybe, I don't know. It didn't start that way. We just started by thinking this is a cool product. Let's make it for our customers. Right? And that like such a simple thought. It's not profound. No one's going to blog about it as like top 10 tips for building a successful business. But it was a moment that when you feel him say it, you're like, 
that's one of the most truthful things he's said as a CEO sitting in a boardroom right now, you know, and he also isn't a corporate guy. He's in a hat that has his logo. He's in, you know, casual clothes. He's not a fortune 500 CEO, but the same principles apply where you can just say, I kind of see it like this. Do you agree? Or like, I thought I read this. Is that wrong? And you force them to correct you or to say why you're right or wrong. And too often we ask questions that we already know the answers to, or we're not willing to sort of play the naive fool, but it turns out that's actually the right type of person to get an executive to start dropping the act and start becoming real. Um, anything else on pre-production you guys want to talk about? We're starting to talk production because we love it so much, but anything else on the prep stuff you guys can think about? I think this is kind of, um, Travis, I don't know if you have any, but I think this is something universal. Um, and this is a, from production to client to, to help scout. I think, I think figuring out early on, which is very difficult, but figuring out early on who are the voices from like the help scout side or from the client side, because you can't have, you can't have six people from the corporate side and then us three, it, there's a lot of voices, right? And it's just like any other project we do with any corporate company, anybody, doesn't matter, documentary, anything like figure out your voices. Who's going to own it from that person? Who's going to own it from the corporate side? Yeah. So who, who's the, who's the person, right? Who are the two people, two, three people that are going to speak into it? Because if you start allowing three, five, six, eight people, it starts to get really watered down. So from a pre-production, pre-production standpoint, like we figured it out for the other two. But in the beginning, it was like, well, everybody from Help Scout wants a say in it because it's their company and they're really passionate about their brand. Right. And that's one of the beautiful things about Help Scout is they, are, like, they have a lot of people that are passionate about their brand yeah. and how they perceive. But from a client standpoint, from whoever's running it, pick two people. It's cr- conviction beats consensus for stuff like this. You need somebody who holds the vision for what the project should be. And one of the things we all struggle with because we're not at Help Scout, and this is true of any company. Uh, I'm not trying to single out Help Scout. This is just the dynamic of a client uh, production team relationship is who do you actually listen to? If someone suggests a thing, is that something we have to do? Is that a suggestion? Is that a new idea to consider, right? Uh, or is that something that like actually is coming from a person you want to ignore? And you don't necessarily know up front. And so having an executive, um, you know, like Nick does this really well, delineate for you who is the accountable party here. In other words, the buck stops here person. That's Nick. He's the executive producer. Who is the responsible, who are responsible parties? That was one other person at Help Scout and the three of us. And then who are um, participants? So these are the people that are like going to contribute ideas. They might be around a shoot or two. Maybe they have some um, inspirational sources they want to send you like, hey, um, this actually came from Nick. But an example was here's a web series that Anthony Bourdain did with a Scotch brand called the Balvenie. It's called Raw Craft. We want to mimic stuff like this. It's like, all right, well, if that's from Nick, I should say, what is it about that show that you want to mimic? Because it's important for us to raid things that inspire us for why they inspire us. But if it's from somebody who is just a participant level, maybe we go back to that, but we don't have to because it's from a participant, not the accountable or responsible parties. So delineating, delineating that's really important. We got a couple and this questions. Is all, and, so, and this is all new world for, I mean, we're talking about the corporate companies, the studio, right? So they're the studio heads and we're the production. And so if you're in the film world, they're the studio heads, but well, it's, it's new for them and it's new for us. They put, they put a big risk in to bring us into this thing. So all those things are so like warranted to figure out. Like, it's not like there was a problem. It's just part of the process. And it's just a new way when you're talking about making TV style documentary series stuff in your corporate company is now the, is, is the, is the studio. This is a lot. It's a, it's a learning curve for everybody. And I think it, as long as you have a lot of people like which we did that care and that are willing to say, you know, Hey, you take this piece. I'll take this piece. Like it really did work out. Yeah. It just took a little bit of time to figure out these, these roles and these players and, and who's playing into it. But it is a studio at this point, the way it works is the corporate company is the studio. Right. And, and, and it's a kind of an educational side from both people, from both parties. You're all now hearing why uh, we usually put Tyler behind all the microphones and not in front of them. Cause he just keeps whacking the mic. <laughs> Am I hitting it constantly? Oh my gosh. Uh, all right, questions from the audience. Here's one. Do you write out the whole thing before you start shooting? It, it kind of varies. Um, I think I tried more so to write out the, um, the script for Death Wish because I knew so much about them. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd interviewed the CEO before. I'd heard and watched different coverages of their story publicly before. And I wrote their story. I filled it out with more details for my book and told it 
literally a hundred times or more on a stage. Um, so I was so familiar with it that I thought, let me write this out. But then I quickly realized it was just rehashing stuff people knew if they already knew the company. So like heading into the shoot in my head, I was like, who cares about the Super Bowl ad? Like we have to mention they won the Super Bowl ad. It was an inflection point for the business, but we're going to do that in full voiceover. So I tried writing out a lot of it. What I found with episode two, and I think you'll notice hopefully an improvement is it was just the rundown in broad form. Like how do you tell the story of a customer centric company? All right. Well, the first thing here is we got to start with the customer, something about the customer or as with death wish actually featuring a customer. And we did feature a bunch for episode two uh, and three. So that's the first block, something about the customer, some irrational love they have of a, of a brand. And then the logic question on the mind of the, the audience will be, who the heck is this brand? Why would someone fall in love with them? That's B block. So we continue to go through what you need to hear and how we serve the premise. So I think C block is like, show how it's more than just the one-to-one -one relationship between customer and brand. Show how this mentality spills around the community, right? So that's C block. So you're going through this process of figuring out how do I make a logical, almost lawyerly case for the show's premise? And then what are the broad blocks that we need to put in order? So that's actually a better way to write something like this, I've found, than writing it all out on spec. It's definitely something that, like for this one, we didn't like, when me and Tyler do like testimonials and a lot of it's more like what we've done in the past is like five minute marketing videos, essentially. Usually we don't script everything. We go in with a theme, kind of like Jay said, you go in with a structure and then, you know, figure out the story after. So I know that like, I was very comfortable with like, we don't need to script this. Um, I think we scripted it a little bit and it might've been a little bit more for like help scout just so everyone can like understand what the show might look like. But there's definitely companies, especially when you get more of like TV network kind of machine, they'll do pre-interview calls with all the people involved. They take those pre-interview calls, they get them transcripted and then they build a script. And then they go on the shoot and they literally have all the interviews in, in a script on a piece of paper. Um, and then they try to get those again. So it's definitely something you can do. Um, it becomes a little bit more of a machine. You know, they kind of know what to expect. Um, you've already pre-written it before you've really experienced it. So it's definitely not the best way to go about it. It's good when you're really trying to play it safe. Or again, you're trying to create a little bit of a, mach a machine, you know, like for like a TV network thing. And you're just, you just need to get them out. And you don't want that element of like surprise or that element of like getting into editing and being like, so where do we go from here? Or yep. like not, you know, expecting things. But obviously it's like a documentary like that's part of the fun of it is that you go in with kind of, you know, not a lot of expectations. You sort of have your tent poles and the story, um, but you're really trying to just like let people speak. And especially with, you know, we definitely got good stuff with death wish of just like letting people speak naturalicious. The next episode that for this week is um, I mean, there's stuff that we literally couldn't have scripted that they said. Um, just because they were comfortable with us and everybody was in the moment and they, mm -hmm. you know, just kind of shared from their hearts. So yeah. there's definitely, there's kind of like not a wrong way to do it, but it sort of depends on like what you want to do as far as like your time and, you know, how much time you have to develop the story. So there's right. like some factors that go into it. I think it's about what are you trying to say overall with your show's premise? What's a rough idea of the story on the episode level and then be willing to throw it out at a moment's notice live. Um, I want to keep going through some of the questions here. How do you find the characters that are the voices? So this is something that like Tyler, you were really heavily involved in. I didn't know a bunch of the people that we talked to. So I did propose Mike Brown, obviously. How do you find those characters before you go on the shoot? Oh boy. Um, it is, it's really not very fancy. It's um, once I built, once I build some kind of relationship with the, the, the person, you know, from the company that we want to, we want to do this documentary at. So for, De for death wish, it was, um, getting to know Taya and Jeff, who are kind of the ones bringing us in, um, who both work for them. And then basically asking us for their phone book, like who, who would be great in this episode that could be featured? Who is somebody that's a super fan? Who is somebody that's maybe a local artist or um, somebody that's like super connected to the brand that isn't in the company? So the big thing, and this is, this, you'll see this a lot more in the next two episodes, especially in episode two, is less people from the company being interviewed. And it's really not, it's, it, it, there's two types. So obviously we try to show up to the, the, the project and we have people on board. Uh, with Death Wish, we actually had people on board that fell apart 
so we had like two other super fans and they fell apart. They couldn't make the shoot like the day of they canceled. And then we're like, shit, we are absolutely screwed. I mean, you know what I mean? You have a lot of money on your back. Like this is a stressful environment. Like you're trying to hide it all, but really it's like, Oh my gosh, we just screwed up. Like, like it's, it's, it's dying. And that's when it's like, okay, I'm, I'm on uh, that. We're in the field. We're on the shoot. And that's when I start, we start talking to like, Hey, who else can we talk to? And that's when like the, the distillery came up and some other names. And then you're just making calls on the fly to try to get people that would to, to fill in those gaps um, for this episode two, which I know we're going to probably do another one of these for episode two. Um, we, we got a lot deeper into the super fans and getting people yeah. that were involved. And that, that was, it, it's basically, and I talked to all of them on the phone. So I, Hey, um, do you have the super fans? Can I have the list of their numbers? And then I do a pre-production call with them to find out. And, and they're all excited to be on video, which they might not be because we might say no. If they sound awful on, on the phone or in a zoom chat, like there's a, there's a good chance. It's, it's also a vetting thing. Um, but a lot of it is really asking for the phone book. Now there's other things you can do. You can go on the Instagram page, you can go on their Facebook page, you can go on this and you can DM people, which you did some of that too. Some of those people just didn't work out. It just wasn't the right fit, but um, you can, you know, go through their social channels and, and try to poach from there. But the yep. best way to do it is to have somebody from that company give you their phone book. Cause they're the ones that ultimately know their, their fans, fan base. And it's just allowing them to give you like, Hey, can you give me their email? Can you give me their phone number? And then it's following up with that. And, and there's times we've shot stuff over these episodes that I thought were going to be really, really kick-ass interviews. Like the phone call was amazing. I'm like in my, my, my office, like, oh, this is going to be amazing. I'm like texting Jane, like, we've got one, you know, we got a fish on, we're good. And then you go to the interview and it, and it was a dud and you're going, oh my God, I, I just spent half a day prepping yep. for this. Yep. And it's a dud. How can we fill in that? How can we fill in those gaps? Problem solving in the moment is stressful as hell and delicious just the one of the best parts of this especially because you're doing it like the three of us together like if it was just sort of me in the field i'd be like i'm going home <laughs> i got nothing yeah. it's it's the adrenaline rush of production and so there's it's like a drug you know sometimes it's it, you're coming off it it's really bad yeah not that I have any of that stuff but i'm just saying from a production standpoint you know and then you, you hit this interview and you're like crying i mean it, We'll talk about more episode two. I keep saying episode two, but I mean, there's one of them. I'm, I'm, I'm in tears. Right. Like I'm that was, that was something in, he could not, we, we had our sound guy in episode two turn to us. I forget. It was mid shoot. I mid shoot. I, I locked eyes with him and he was like, looking at me like, mm, you, do you know what you have here? But then afterwards he said to us, he's like, I've been on shoots for CBS, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He's like, he's a 40 year veteran. Yeah. And, and to have someone who's been around the quote unquote, real people, the real projects, look at us and be like, Oh, this isn't, marketing content this isn't a corporate thing like this is something that's of the caliber or better than those organizations those networks and i remember tyler you had the best reaction i mean you were like grateful but you were like yeah because that's what we're trying to make right you're like yeah we're not trying to make marketing content we're trying to make a oh, documentary oh, when he said that yeah because he, he, he turned to me and he goes, I, he goes he goes i've been on cps i've been on this i've been he goes this is like he's like this is a corporate shoot i'm like yeah man and I was like, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to take the corporate out of corporate storytelling. Like right. we, we know that the, the, there's a lot of corporate companies that want to be known for a lot more than just for their products, right? That's the whole point of this. Help Scott wants to be known for more than just their products. They want to be known for their vision, for what they believe in as human beings. Um, it's kind of like when actors stand up for on behalf of things. Like the, I'm not just an actor. I'm an activist or I, I do this. A lot of corporate companies want this. In, in order to do that, you have to get it authentic. Right. And um, that was one of those moments where I felt like I was, I was just, yeah, I just, we just hit it. And, and it was, had nothing to do with the corporate. It was just like, we're just on shoot with these amazing people and they're being authentic and we're getting gold. It's a lot easier to make things people like and get business results than try to make people like stuff. And so you need at least to hire those people if they're not on your team. If everyone on your team thinks about what's the end result here and that, that's what they thrive on you do need those people that are just like, I just want this thing to be good, period. That's why I'm here. It seems so simple, so breathtakingly simple, but so few corporations are willing to do that. You need someone who's here just to make something people like instead of trying to make people like stuff. And I think that's what that sound guy was saying. Ed, I think his name was. Ed, um, that's great. Yeah. So we have one more question here and then we can move on to our next section. But what's an unexpected challenge that came up during the creation process and how'd you overcome it? Travis, has anything jumped to mind there? 
Um, I mean, I know during the editing and the story, there was a lot of kind of learning because none of us had really done it. Like I'd been doing mostly like five minute videos with, you know, one song. So there's definitely kind of a lot of things of just like looking at other docs and shows. Um, I think specifically I was trying to think during, I remember during the pre, uh, the production, one thing that we wanted was to go into their facilities where the actually coffee was being made. You know, like everyone loves this coffee. You know, people are fans because of this product. We were like, well, we have to see where it's made. We need to go into manufacturing. And we were kind of like, that was the plan. And then like they, the week before we we're supposed to go out, they're like, eh, maybe. And we're like, oh, like I was thinking like, we have to like, we can't go here and not shoot any coffee or any coffee beans. Um, Cause I was under the impression that this, you know, the actual product in, in, you know, their operations was a big part of the story. So in the end we get there and they're like, so you can't go into the factory. They're like, it's not going to happen. They're in the middle of um, an audit for licenses or uh, certificates or something like that. So we ended up um, working out in one of the warehouses, um, some of their coffee, they're called coffee masters or master roasters. There was a master, a master coffee roaster or master. Yeah. Roaster. And yeah. so there's a, there's a couple of um, these guys that just are like in charge of like, the taste and the, you know, the, the, the quality, you know, of the product. And so we actually got um, interviews with them. We went to the warehouse. We did a whole cupping session where we, we shot Jay like drinking coffee with them and smelling beans. Can, can yeah, we just we never... describe that quick? Let's just describe that. It's literally like they have product that's not out in the world yet lined up on this table. And they have like all these small little cups, like kind of two by two. So one for the uh, coffee master, one for me. And they would, uh, steep the coffee, you know, out, like a la pour over coffee into these little cups. Um, but instead of using a filter to pour over it, they would just fill the cup of grounds with water. So you have this like film of coffee that forms on the top of these little cups. And then the way you do this is you're, you're slurping this coffee, taking a spoon, you push back the grains and you slurp the coffee. And it's kind of similar to tasting any other type of drink in an academic setting. You're trying to understand the, the notes that you taste and, and all these things. And I'm, I'm putting on face here. I'm trying, right? All I taste meanwhile is, is coffee until like the back half of the, I don't know, dozen different types where my left eye just starts straight up twitching because what we haven't mentioned here, but we mentioned it on the show. So you'll know this if you know the company, they are the world's strongest coffee. It is two and a half times the caffeine of regular coffee. And we had done a half day at least of a shoot that morning where like people are just for like, it was one step away from them putting an IV to my veins with their product. Every turn, every interview, every walk through the office, someone's handing me like a giant mug of coffee. And I have like one and a half a day. I can, I can hold my own on regular stuff, but I go dark roast which roasts away a lot of the coffee or the caffeine, you know, one and a half a day. So I'm, I'm doing this cupping and the whole time, all I'm thinking of, and like, I don't know if I even said this to Tyler and Travis was like, we better fucking use this material because I'm about to have a heart attack here. <laughs> Guess how much footage from the cupping process we used in the final cut? Zero, zero. <laughs> <laughs> and then we go from, so we go from cupping and you were like noticeably, noticeably vibrating. Like, fucked up yeah so you know and then we go and we go right to the distillery i think it was right after, wasn't after that and then yeah, that was co that was coffee infused vodka so your hearts are your heart rate's already like 160 sitting down and then you start ripping shots of coffee vodka after drinking coffee all day it was uh <laughs> jay was just gonna fly home just just start flapping the wings he was ready to go i've never seen anybody so caffeinated in my life there's b-roll there's B-roll. And this is, this is why it's so fun to work Travis with you is like, I remember being like so relieved when I thought the cameras were off and I was talking to Rick, the owner of Albany distilling. Cause we had just come from the cupping. I hadn't yet had the vodka, but I'd had just a ton of coffee and caffeine for three straight days. And certainly that day. And I was talking to Rick and I was just being my Italian American self, like flying all over the place, but even more so. And in the final edit, you can even see there's a couple moments I think in the edit, it could be the trailers where you see me like doing like crazy outlandish things because I'm so amped up and I could finally like relax because I'm not on camera. You were filming the whole time and you used some of that. <laughs> so bravo, yeah. hat tip to you, sir. Always oh. got to keep it rolling. That's why you always keep, and it's right. actually, it was actually Travis's brother who was on the set with us for that one. And he's just one of those 
um, young filmmakers that is always filming, even when he shouldn't be. Yeah. So he gets a lot of those moments. <laughs> yeah. Well, a lot of good stuff hidden in the cans. Can, can we talk about um, how to get people production ready when they're not in production? So the subjects, right? So we talked a lot about the prep and what you do, Tyler, to like talk to these people. What are you doing live to make sure these people are ready to be on camera? Because it is a little weird. It's not an iPhone. It's lots of equipment and lighting. And then a sound guy walks over and puts a microphone on your shirt. Like these people are acutely aware that they're being filmed and then eventually broadcast to the world. So what are we doing to make sure that they're fine with that? On set, you're talking about. Yeah. Right. So on set, I mean, the things that I try to do is be a good, just be a human being like that actually wants to care about people because you actually have to care. You can't fake that. So part of it is just having genuine conversations. And I, and so if I'm not, because I do a lot of interviewing myself, um, not on camera. So I understand that aspect when you're the producer and you have a host, I'm, I'm really coming in and most of the people I've already talked, no, everybody there is, I've already talked to on the phone. So it's like, Hey, how are you? Like, good to see you. Like, and that's like I said, it's like not, it's not saying nice to meet you. And then I'm pretty much going to talk through maybe some logistics about the day. Um, and then nothing about what we're going to talk about. So my job is basically like, I don't really want to talk to you about like, I really talked about your daughter's softball team just to get your mind off of it. Cause yeah. there's lights. It's not, it's not organic looking at all. That's the one thing about film sets. It's not organic. There's three lights, there's a camera, you have two mics, you have five people and you're talking about trying to talk about something intimate. It's not comfortable. So the trick is to get people as comfortable as possible mm -hmm. and to leave that interview saying I had a blast. And it, it for me, it's really just walking in the room and, and just being friendly and having fun and talking yeah. about logistics and talking about anything other than what we're about to talk about. Because I know when they sit down with Jay, it's go time. Like you're going to talk about, and Jay sometimes, but before we sit down, you go through over some of the points you might talk about, but really you want to sit down and have an authentic conversation. Right. So a lot of it's like, hey, like where are we going to lunch after? You know, like what do you, what do you do for fun? How long have you lived here? Like just being an actual human being, right. people good. You know what's so interesting? What we've touched on is, uh, and again, I see a difference between um, more fuller productions and, and uh, some somewhat like in-house marketing lean teams. You, you do have to be willing. Slack has to be built into the system. I don't mean the program. I mean the idea of Slack and the rope. Slack has to be built into the process such that you are willing to talk to somebody in pre-production that you then say is not a fit for the show. Whereas I think in marketing, sometimes we're like, if we reach out to them, it's a guarantee that we go all the way to publishing what they say, Right even to the point of not even editing them. But we have Slack in the system. So we're saying, who are we going to talk to and find? We might not actually talk to them. Also, we might spend a half day with you. Have you go out of your way to experiment with this cupping thing and a, and a host and a documentary crew. And then we throw it all out. And same deal in the room. You're, you're sort of saying, we need Slack in the interview. That's why 45, 30 to 45, even 60 is not enough. Sitting in a corporate boardroom is, is difficult because that's such a tight container such that I can't sit down with them and just banter for a while because we, we only have so much time to get to the good stuff, right? But some of the rapport building that you throw out is important. So whether it's people or moments or, you know, the, the ability to say we need 90 to two hours or more with you, um, you have to have that slack because so much of it gets to the good stuff, right? And I think, unfortunately, a lot of us in the corporate world are stuck with the first outreach and we just think that we have to say yes to, to them. Media doesn't do this at all. Media kills most of what they talk to, most of what they prep. Even This American Life, the podcast, kills 50% of stories in progress, which means reporters went in the field and talked to people, and that never sees the light of day. So I don't know if that resonates with you two, but you, know, you guys are more fully in production day-to-day -day than I am, but Slack's got to be part of the system. Yeah, yeah, and, it's, and putting them together, it's kind of part of the creative process, and everyone's a little different. Every production company is a little different. Directors like me and Tyler have definitely worked with other directors before on their crews. And I mean, they treat their subjects like actors, you know, they go, this is what you're going to do. This is what you're going to say. They'll ask the same question for, you know, four times in a row. Um, so it's definitely like some, you know, some people don't leave that, you know, they kind of want to go in the plan and follow that. Um, we definitely kind of went from a point of just like, wanting to have experiences and figure it out later a little bit from yeah. like what experience we had. And part of that is just collecting as many assets as you can. You know, you don't, even if you don't know how they're going to fit, um, just, you just got to like collect as much stuff as you can, whether it's B-roll, whether it's collecting, you know, pictures people are willing to share with you, um, interviews that you don't even know how it's going to fit. And then after just kind of figure it out. But yep. 
um, you know, it's definitely part of the process of like, you know, just collect as much as you can. Um, don't worry about whether it's going to fit in the story um, and just kind of collect as many, you know, just different, I guess, yeah. like paths, you know, you can kind of take. Yeah. And a lot of that comes from, like we said, like before we were producing and directing, you know, we were, we were camera folks on other people's sets. So you learn a lot about the good and the bad and the ugly from being on other people's sets. And a lot of the, the, the bad was for me, the most hurtful thing that, that drove me nuts. Just really, really drove me to wanting to never touch a camera and, and getting more, basically have more power in producing because I couldn't stand when people sit down with somebody and just like, they don't care. They just, they just have their rap sheet. They're looking at their piece of paper. So when did you start working here? Da, da, da. And they just like, they're just there to just get the answer and leave. And I just feel like there's a lot more humanity behind it. Yeah. And I think that's why a lot of people we interview, we've stayed close with because we actually really like them and we care right. about them. We know about them. And I think there's, there's a human element that comes into production that maybe just people don't own, but it's just, it, it's important. Treating people, treating people fairly is important. And yes, there is a manipulation. I am trying to get the answer, but I can do that while still caring for somebody and still oh, yeah. wanting, you know, it's, 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 it's the whole point of the show, right? The whole point of the show is kind of the same thing. You can have profits while still caring about people and still caring about the culture. And I think in production, you can do the same thing. And I think there's a, there's a, there's a ethical way of doing it, but it starts with actually caring and loving and liking people. Yeah. Yep. And being okay of like not getting stuff from people, you know, sometimes you don't yeah. get stuff from people and don't twist their arm. Like you have to figure it out, you know? Right. You're or you're taking, you're taking third. I remember sitting with Taya Torelli, the, the marketing director. She really coordinated everything. She was talking to Tyler to prep this thing. Um, when we went into Death Wish's office, she greeted us, right? But, uh, so I thought in my head, she'd be featured heavily. Turns out the star, you always want to find the star of the episode, the person who doesn't need a lot of coaching, the person who has stories and specifics and cool things. And, oh, have you talked about this or to them? That was Jeff Ayers, the, uh, the podcast host at Death Wish. Um, he became the star. Taya was more the coordinator but we agreed to sit down with her ahead of time. And I realized quickly after meeting her that she wasn't going to be featured as heavily. We still sat with her and we got like one to two quick sound bites. So again, slack in the system. It's like, those were worth it for 30 or 60 minutes with her. Um, you know, I also had to do a little more coercing and manipulation in Tyler's words um, to get the answer. Cause she was stiff and corporate and nervous. And uh, she had a picture of a dog drawn on her desk. And I just stopped asking her about death wish and started talking about her dog. And then we transitioned back to death wish and she gave us a couple of good sound bites. that sounded like her. So there are these things where even if you have the best access, the best crew, someone can sit down. And it's just not what you expected. So I think that's why this idea of slack in the system or Tyler has a sound bite to speak to this. We can always not use it. Right. I think we need to think more like that. Grab it. We yeah. can always not use it. It's important. Um, with the little time we have left. And by the way, keep putting questions in the comments. Let's talk about post really quick. So I think I'll, I'll just sum up post because I think I was really heavily involved with the, the story as was uh, Travis. The whole process here essentially was to go and write out my voiceover around the key moments. And the more voiceover, typically the worse the shoot went <laughs> the, or the less we got that we thought was great because you want to have less me and more of them. Um, so Death Wish has a lot of voiceover. Episode two, almost none. Episode three is right in the middle. Um, and I think the process here is like wandering through a jungle all over again, because you're pouring over hours and hours of footage and trying to whittle it down. But the way you whittle it down, at least the way you make it easier is you have that rundown from your prep where you're like, I know these blocks, a block was to do this, B block was to do this. Right. And we have a rough runtime for each. And really what I'm doing is going through with Travis's help, finding the golden nuggets and moving them into their respective blocks to be like, I think this slot's over here and over here. So what I have is a broad outline, then a broad outline filled in with moments, little timestamps and little quotes to remember what is in that moment. Then I write the episode around that, moving those quotes around or removing them. And that's hard to remove things that feel great. I say that kill your darlings is a big phrase in production because you're, you're in love with this moment. It doesn't fit the story. You got to get rid of it. Use it as a bonus. Use it as a promo or not at all. Um, and then I'm handing Travis a script. And sometimes it's incredibly clear in a moment. It's me saying this, them saying this, this musical transition done. Sometimes I'm like, Travis, we need a transition here. Like, what is it? B-roll? I don't know. And then that's the working relationship we developed. Um, so that's my side of post. It's heavy on the writing. What's your side, Travis? Yeah. So like I said, I'd never really done something kind of episodic like this. So um, definitely I leaned, especially on episode one, on Jay a little bit, because he'd obviously been 
researching and been wanting to do this for a long time. Um, and then him coming from like more of doing like 30 minute podcasts, which are kind of like a show, he sort of felt beats and um, was able to give those suggestions. And um, especially like, like, you know, writing a score, doing the whole music, I was really intimidated by, about that. So Jay kind of gave, you know, samples of like music or like, you know, maybe we can start in this beat. So it was definitely kind of like one, just like getting inspiration. Um, I mean, especially the first episode, I went back and watched so many other different documentaries just to see tuning into like, what are they using for sound effects? Like when does the music come in? Um, you know, how are they using B-roll? So it was really just about, you know, taking sort of Jay's story, um, just trying to flesh it out and then, um, figuring out problems or the three of us would jump on a call and we would talk about like, okay, where's the story kind of sticking, you know, where's it too long. And there's just, it's kind of just about like massaging, you know, it's like building like a clay pot where it's just like, you just keep working it and working it until it kind of feels, feels better. Um, but yeah, a lot of back and forth and, um, you know, trying to take suggestions from other people. Yeah, the hardest part is that you deliver what feels like, you know, 15 to 20 minute cut and you're like, okay, it's okay, it's okay right? And you deliver it to like a help scout um, and they give you feedback. And uh, sometimes the best feedback is, is it, it has to be really specific. And I think that's any creator wants to hear that. It can't be like, hey, make it pop, right? If you're a designer, have fun with it. <laughs> it has to be like, I wasn't sure about this one specific moment or this is where you lost, lost me or I was bored here or something. And so what you have to do is I think instead of saying, can I get feedback on this? You say, here's the final cut. Give me any thoughts you want. Here are the specific questions I have about this, which means you have to get vulnerable first. You have to profess that it's broken first before saying like, I have this great thing. And if, you, oh, by the way, if there's feedback, give it to me. You have to be like, this is far from complete. And I know that here are my questions, right? Answer them. Cause that's where the good feedback from a client comes out or from someone who's not in production. If you just ask for feedback, what happens is people think I have to critique. You're asking me for feedback. So you get erroneous things because they're trying to make stuff up. You get meandering things cause it, and they're not in production. So they don't know the specifics that they're speaking to and you get too many things to possibly respond to. So that was a huge lesson for me. Travis is like getting really specific in how we ask for feedback once we deliver a cut. Um, we're at time. I could talk about this for six hours. Uh, any other questions in the chat? Let me give you one last call for questions. And as we're waiting for that, I'll just give you one thing on that, on the um, feedback is whether it's on set or with clients, we kind of have this rule of, um, of you can't just say no. So you can't just say, I don't like that. It's kind of like if you have a kid and the kid's like, I don't want that for dinner. You're like, well, what do you want? Like, you know, it, it, it's kind of like, I admit it's a bad, I don't have kids. I mean, it's a bad description. I don't know how that works. Um, but but it, you can't just say, no, I don't like that. And then wait for us to change it. You have to have something to give. So if you're going to say, no, we don't want this. What are we, what do you want to replace it with? So have and have, have help answer the question, help answer the no. So if you say no, well, then what kind of creative feedback are you going to give? Because if you're not giving any feedback, that no really means nothing. It's right. just a no. Right. So put deeper thought into your no. And then we can proceed because it's just really hard to say no. Yeah. Or ask just, just like what it feel like, what do you want it to feel like maybe, you know, so you try to get it to, you know, they aren't going to talk in technical production terms. So trying to just find them to, you know, explain what they're kind of looking through. Right. Right. We got a, one question in the chat here. What kinds of questions do you ask? Like, how do you get good feedback? I think it's, it's being willing to be a critic of your own work and saying, Hey, you know, um, a, did we, this is episode one with death wish. So did we establish the concept of the whole show, the premise accurately? Like how's the opening, right? That was a big one. Um, B I'm a little worried. We didn't feature customers as much as possible because we had a few interviews fall apart. Like Tyler said, so here's what we did instead. Let me know what you think, right. About those specific moments. You might even say, do not give us any feedback on music because we're aware it's not final or do not touch this section because we haven't done anything there yet. So it's really putting people outside your project inner circle in a tight box and, and really, really guide them to one specific type of answer. We are at time. This was so much fun. I hope we can do it again for many, many episodes to come, but thank you all for watching against the grain. First of all, for caring about the movement, caring about your creative process and wanting to join us this badly that you'd talk about it behind the scenes. Cause I, 
we, the three of us have shared many a drink watching Anthony Bourdain, for example, because we want to do stuff like that. So to get the chance to talk about the craft with other people, I don't know about you two, it's been, it's been profoundly rewarding. And also my ego thanks you all. <laughs> the debrief is always fun. <laughs> this has been good. Yeah. All right, for Tyler, for Travis, for Help Scout, thank you guys so much for supporting the show and coming to this. We'll do more. See ya. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this atypical bonus type of episode of Three Clips. We're back in uh, a week with another standard episode of the show where we dissect a great podcast a few little pieces at a time. For more, be sure to subscribe to my weekly newsletter. It comes out every Friday. It's called Playing Favorites, where we explore creativity, podcasting, marketing, and how to make someone's favorite show. Get it? Playing favorites? Yeah. Cool. Anyways, subscribe using the link in your show notes or visit marketingshowrunners.com. Marketing Showrunners.